Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Today, I want to wrap up a series called Forgotten Virtues to where we talked about different virtues that aren't necessarily prevalent in culture. And they may not be um, identified specifically in scripture, but we see um, the residue of these values and these virtues within the lives of people in scripture. And so the first week we talked about holiness and God actually calls us to be holy as he is holy. And to think about that, that, that is an incredible um, like task for us to try to pursue because God is the holy of holies, right? It's so, he's so holy that they had to say it three times in the book of Isaiah that God is holy, holy, holy. And he's called us to live that, but not holy as in like marking all these checks off our checkbox if we've done all these things and that we're better than everyone else. But we're to live with, with holy hands and a holy heart so that we can give ourselves fully to God, right? That he wants all of us, not just a part of us. And then we talked about what it is in showing honor, that we honor how, guys? Honor up, down, all around. All around. So you, I want you guys <clears throat> to remember that forever. And that as we honor the person in front of us, we're also honoring the one who created them, and we are also honoring the price that was paid for them. Amen, right? And then we walk humbly before God and man that when we exalt ourselves, and we see in scripture those who exalt themselves, what does the Lord do? He humbles them. But those who humble themselves, what does God do? He exalts them. And it's not that we walk around as like, I'm a nobody, right? I'm, you know, I don't have any gifts. I don't have any talents. We don't walk around all insecure, but we walk confidently humble, not in who we are, but we talked about we are confident in God's grace in our life, right? That it covers a multitude. It covers our sins in the past. It covers the ones that you committed this morning when you were trying to get ready to come to church, yelling at your kids, right? Yelling at the person in front of you, right? Grace covers that. It covers what takes place in the future. And because of God's grace, we can have confidence in our position in Christ, not in our position at work, not in the position of our bank account finances, but we have confidence in our position in Christ because when we recognize that, we have access to things unimaginable, right? And then we have confidence in God's power in us, that it's able to do um, more in us and through us than what we could ask or imagine. And so today, like in perfect pastoral fashion, I really wanted today's virtue to start with an H because we had holiness, humility, honor. What's the fourth one? And I almost said hustle because that's kind of a buzzword right now, right? Everybody's hustling, right? No, that's shuffling. Sorry, wrong song, <laughs> right? I almost had it, almost had it. But, but hustle, like is this, is this grinding mindset that I'm just gonna get it done, get it done, get it done. But there's a lot of um, 
toxicity that comes with always hustling. And so I thought, you know what, really what I want people more than just to hustle for the Lord, because there are things that we're supposed to work out, right? It says that we're to work out our faith in fear and trembling. And there's some things that God puts in us that we're supposed to work out and actually hustle, but not to the mindset that we're destroying the work of God that wants the work of God that he's doing in us, right? But what I want us to have more than anything is this virtue of grit, Look at your neighbor and say, get gritty, right? Um, not to be confused with the dance, that's G-R-I-D-D-Y. We're gonna talk about grit, G-R-I-T. Um, and, and when you think of, of this word grit, you really don't see it in scripture um, a whole lot. You don't, you don't see that word. You see other words like persevere, like steadfast, like endurance. You see those words, but those words are all encompassing in this grit, having a gritty mentality, being steadfast, immovable. Um, there was a social psychologist a few years ago. Her name was Angela Duckworth, and she wrote a book called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. And she was a school teacher for a while, and she really loved seeing, wanting to understand how some kids were succeeding in class, but what others others weren't. And she became obsessed with, with studying these different groups of people and, and how they succeeded. And she realized that it wasn't just their talent, their skill set, their knowledge, their education, but it was this kind of hard to describe word called grit. And I know some of you guys see it on the screen, but this is what she said. To have grit is to keep putting one foot in front of the other. To have grit is to hold fast to a purposeful goal. To have grit is to invest day after day, week after week, year after year, challenging yourself towards a goal. To be gritty is to fall down seven times, but to rise up how many? Eight. So we're gonna fall, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna rise up one more time than we fall down. So that means we're always getting back up. And when you look at culture today, we are more enamored and impressed with results than we are with progress. Everyone's always posting their results. We see the individuals that have lost all the weight. We see the individuals that have made millions of dollars. We see the individuals that have accomplished all these great things. And guess what we're just seeing? We're just seeing the results. But getting to the results is this thing called progress. And in order to continually progress, guess what you gotta have? Grit. You got to get up day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Think about that. Many of us start new endeavors and we think we're going to accomplish it in six weeks. And when six weeks doesn't happen, what, what do we do? We get discouraged and we quit because we don't have any grit. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. It wasn't in my notes, but it did. And when I think about who's, who's gritty, when you think about people who, who you know have grit, who do you think of? Like we know people and a lot of them honestly come from previous generations like our grandparents and maybe our parents or great grandparents. They, they had this resolve within them that they were gonna stand true to their values and pursue what they wanted to pursue regardless of what was in front of them. You know, for me, Grizzlies fan, grit and grind era back in like the 2000s, 2010, not doing so well now. And, and, and here in Tennessee, we have a large group of uh, gritty people and they're the Tennessee Titan fans. 
um, just like year after year. It's like, we're going we're gonna to go all the way. And then we get close to the end of the season and what happens? <laughs> right? And so we just keep coming back every year, every year. The Tennessee Titan fans are probably the greediest out there. And maybe the Dallas fans, um, for Dallas fans, man, they were breaking TVs over that game last year. It was Landon, I love you, man. One day, one day. Um, but, but when we think about having grit, though the word's not really translated in, in any like credibly scholarly, like it's not in the NIV, it's not in the NLT, it's not in the message, the passion, it's not, a, it's not even in the King James or the New King James. It's not any of those. But, but we see these characteristics of grit from the Old Testament to the New Testament, starting like, like even, even with Noah, like taking decades to build an ark with his kids, That's probably why it took decades, because he was doing a DIY project with your kids. Parents, can I get an amen, right? Um, I I love my kids, but we know. Like, I remember being a kid trying to do stuff with my sister, and my dad would just get so frustrated because we would either get distracted and go off, or what would we start doing? We would start fighting, right? That's what happens. And so Noah had to have lots of grit to build a giant boat with his sons. And then we think about Abraham, who was challenged by God to go to a land that God would show him. So that would be like families, you going on a vacation and not really knowing where you're going. And I know some of you have probably done that. They're called road trips, Uh, (laughs) right? Let's just just go. But we most of the time, like we have a destination and we have a plan. God says, Abraham, I want you to leave your home and just go somewhere. I'll tell you when you get there. And it says that Abraham went south by stages and God gave him, that, that takes some grit. And then you think about Joseph. Joseph, who was his father's favorite and he had the beautiful coat. His brothers were jealous. So his brothers threw him in a pit. Then they sold him into slavery. And then God was with him and he got elevated to the highest place in Potiphar's house and then was accused And then he was thrown into prison and then he was back in the palace at the highest place, not just in in the palace, but in the kingdom. And when you read that story, it says that God was with Joseph in the pit. God was with Joseph in the prison. He was with him in the palace. And so there's this grit that Joseph had to have, not just to run away, but just to stay faithful, right? And then we think about David who was chased out of the kingdom by Saul and then later on by his own son, Absalom. And you get to the New Testament and probably the grittiest guy in the New Testament next to Jesus is Paul. Paul is, you know, making tents and traveling around the known world then, planting churches everywhere and just being persecuted. And he's being stoned and he's being whipped, arrested and shipwrecked and snake bit and all these things. And he is staying the course day after day, week after week, month after month. And then we see Jesus doing the same thing, knowing what his end result is gonna be. He knows what lies in his future and he continues to stay on that path because he had endurance, he had perseverance, he had steadfastness, he had had grit. Um, And I want us to look at a scripture in passage in Romans chapter 12, verses nine through 12. A couple of these are gonna sound familiar because we actually read them last week, but Paul, um, I think, is actually in some ways describing grit and, and some, some ingredients for grit. He says this in verse nine. He says, love must be sincere. Hating what is evil, cling to what is right or what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor, there's that word honor we talked about last week, honor one another, how? Above yourselves, go all out, outdo one another in honor. And then verse 11, I think he gives us some directions on what it means to be Gritty. It says, never be lacking in zeal, 
but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Verse 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And so as I'm reading this passage of scripture, there's these things, there's these phrases that's marked by commas that I think can be ingredients for grit or ingredients, if you so like to be first service, way, laughed way more than you guys. I'm sorry, I'll hear about it. But there are ingredients, I think, here for us that we can implement into our life um, to help us build resolve and to build grit. And, and he says this, Paul says, um, never be lacking in zeal. Don't lose your fervor. And when, you, when we think of, of zeal and we think of fervor, <coughs> sorry guys, we think of zeal and fervor, we think of this word enthusiasm. And enthusiasm actually means to have a spirit within, to have the spirit within. And think about us as believers, we've got the spirit of God on the inside of us. We're walking around with the spirit of the living God on the inside of us, leading, guiding, directing us, protecting us. We should be the most enthusiastic people on the planet. And so what we have to do to build grit is we need to be full of passion, guys. We need to be the most passionate people on the planet, not Titans fans, not Cowboy fans, not Grizzly fans, not a fan of anything, but a fan of Jesus Christ. We should be the most passionate people on the planet. I read this quote by, um, excuse me, I read this quote by John Piper, and it's just incredible when you think about it. We, he says this, he says, the church, we believers, we have nibbled at the table of the world for so long that we have no appetite to feast at the king's table. We have to have a passion for the things of God. But we've nibbled for so long in culture at the table of the culture that we have no appetite when it comes to the things of God, right? So we need to renew our passion for the things of God. That's one of the reasons that we participate in the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Today's day 22. We finished yesterday. Today's 22. What are we going to do with day 22? Are we just going to stop what we've been pursuing because it's day 22? Or are we going to take day 21, let it roll over into day 22 with some grit and continue to pursue and be passionate about the things of God? Amen? Right? But here's, we do, we snack on the things of culture. And like, if you think about like when we were kids and you go in after school and you go to Little Debbie's, come on. Fudge rounds, Nutty Buddies, zebra cakes. You go in, zebra cakes. Guys, they make zebra cakes in everything now. What is that? Just completely ruined it. But when you, when you come home, you just want a snack. And then when you get to the real meal, guess what? You're full. You're full. But once dinner is over, guess what? You're going to the fridge or the cabinet and you're looking for another snack. Because we are being satisfied by the things of the world that only the things of God should satisfy us. And it's not lasting. So we need to be passionate about the things of God. We also need to be passionate for the joys in life. And it's like, wait, Stephen, I thought you were saying not to nibble on the culture, to stay away from the things of culture. But there are things that God places in our life that are to bring us joy. And really one of the reasons I strayed away from talking about hustle is because when we're hustling, that turns our attention away from the things of God at times and away from the things that he's put in our life for us to enjoy. When you read Ecclesiastes, it can be a really, really depressing book. It's in the Old Testament. 
Um, Solomon wrote it, the wisest man that ever lived. And, and throughout this, this book, you keep seeing this statement and he says, everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind, which means it doesn't matter how hard you're trying, you're never going to achieve. You can chase success and once you achieve it, guess what you wanna be? More successful. You can chase money, but when you get all the money, guess what you're gonna want? More money. You can chase, you know, if you're not married, right? If you're married, you're not chasing any other relationships, right? But if you're not married and you chase one relationship after another, you're not gonna be satisfied until you are satisfied in the Lord and the things that he brings. Because he says this, he says, if everything I've seen under the sun, here's, here's the truth, that we are to fear God, love him, and enjoy the life that he has given us. And it says that, that when people do that, God keeps them so busy that they have no time to ruminate or think about how short their life is and everything they've endured because we're too busy passionately pursuing the things of God and the joys of this life. And Jesus even says this in, in John um, chapter 15. He says that, that I want my, he says, I've told you all these things so that my joy would be full in you and your joy would overflow. God wants our joy to overflow, but it's not chasing worldly things, but it's chasing him and enjoying the good things. So he wants us to be passionate, to be never lacking zeal. But you have to understand when you pursue things passionately, there's going to be some pain involved. And so he says this, Paul says that, that we are to be patient in affliction. What does that mean? That we are to preserve in, persevere in pain that there are gonna be things as we're pursuing it, it's gonna hurt a little bit, right? There's gonna to have to be some sacrifices. As we were pursuing God in this 21 days of prayer and fasting, I gave up caffeine for three days. I had a headache, bad. <laughs> I was an ogre. There's a sacrifice, but I knew I was relying on caffeine and coffee and energy drinks to give me that extra. Don't look at me that way, babe. I'll see you. <laughs> right? She's like, I told you, right? But we, we rely on these things and when we begin to take them out of our life, that brings a little pain. When we start pursuing the things of God, our relationships change. We make better decisions. When we, like, just think practically when you start working out, running those first couple of days, you're in some pain. Like, leg days? Come on. The first day, a couple of days you do leg days, you can't get up off the, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you can't get off the couch. We'll say that. Like, it's like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. Because there's pain, but in the pain comes progress, right? We want the results without the progress. The English word from passion, the English word for passion actually comes from the Latin word. I'm not even gonna try to say it. Pati, pati, um, pati. I wanna go eat some pati now. Um, it's, it means this, all right? The Latin word means to suffer or endure, to be passionate about something, to be willing to suffer for it, to endure the, the, the pain that it will bring. And I didn't fact check it, but a couple of articles and scholars that I was reading said that the German word for passion is actually a, a prefix and a suffix. And when you put the two together, it actually means vocation of suffering. And so when you pursue your passion, there's gonna be opportunities to suffer. Um, and we get to choose how we suffer, right? In, in the majority of life. Now, there are things that are thrust upon us because of the brokenness in this world, right? There are things that are outside of our control that cause us to suffer. But there are also things that I know that we bring upon ourselves that cause us to suffer. And we can either suffer by making a disciplined 
hard choice in the moment for whatever it is, or we can suffer later from the negative consequences by not making the hard decision and suffering then, right? Here's what I've learned in life. If I suffer over there, this suffering is way less. If I suffer over there, that suffering is less if I make the hard decision. But if I don't make the hard decision and suffer there, when I get here, this suffering lasts way longer, right? And so as, as we're going through this, it's, it's, it's gonna come, I just think of this reel on TikTok and it's like, you will suffer. You guys seen that? It's like, you'll suffer. You better bet you'll suffer. No, I've got too much time on my hands, so, right? But we, we, we think about, we wanna avoid it, but pressure comes from two different angles. One, pressure comes pushing us forward, okay? Crunch time, right? Clutch time, as they call it in sports. We just had the gala last night with our A-team and my wife did an incredible job of managing all the details. And, and if you're a procrastinator like myself, when it gets crunch time, that's when like your creativity just explodes. Anybody else? Like you come up with all these great ideas and you go into like overdrive and you're just getting it done. It's like, I need that pressure to get it done. Pressure pushes us forward. And at times, like we actually wanna push against that. But we need to lean into that and understand like that suffering for a moment, the pressure's for us. And then pressure pushing us forward. But then there's also adversity that's pushing us back. There's the enemy, right? The enemy, Satan, is always trying to push back in the kingdom of God from it progressing. And guess who he's pushing back? He's, okay, he's, he's not just pushing us back. We feel it. But really who he's attacking, is he's attacking our heavenly father. But we have to remember and realize is our father's already won, right? He's pushing back at us to get to our dad. But we have the strength to withstand and endure and stay gritty to push through the pain. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. And he says this in verse 7. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so he's, look, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And he's not like walking around with like a ceramic pot in his hand saying, I've got something in this pot. No, he is saying we are jars of clay, that we are flesh made out of the earth. When you look, it's like, like we are fragile jars of clay. And he says, there's this treasure on the inside of us. And that treasure is not a great personality. That treasure is not your ability. That treasure is not your finances. That treasure that we have as followers of Christ is the spirit and the presence of God on the inside of us and the power of God on the inside of us. And he says, because of that, he says, we are pressed hard on every side, pressure from the front, adverse, or pressure from the back, adversity from the front. Every side, it says that we're pressed on every side, but not what? Read it. Not what? Is it on the screen? Not crushed. It says we're not crushed. We are pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not, we are struck down, but not Oh, I don't, I don't think you guys believe that. I really don't. Like, I want you to say it like you believe it. Like, we are struck down, but not what? No, one more time. Uh-uh, I want to be like that. I'm going to say it again. We are struck down, but not? Destroyed. Let's go. We're not destroyed. 
So it doesn't matter what the world or the enemy brings against us. There's gonna be some pain, but we stand in endurance and perseverance and steadfast and in grit, we will not be destroyed. So we pursue passion, we persevere in pain, and these last two are actually two of our of our values. And we talk about them often because we need to be reminded what our values are because our values in life direct the course of our life. The values of our church and every organization directs like the, the, the flow and the direction of that organization. It keeps us true. And so our, we have 10 values. But the top four, I call them all the time, they're our core four. Um, the others may change in importance, but these top four, we're gonna stay in order the way they are. The first one is we put our hope in Jesus. Like not in Stephen Moore, not in Avenue Church, not in some great TV priest. Like it's not, we put our hope in Jesus and in nothing and no one else. And then our second value is connected to that is we respond in worship. That when we acknowledge what Christ has done in our life for us and through us, there's nothing we can do but respond in worship. And that's not just on a Sunday morning. That's in our quiet times, that's in the car, that's in the shower, that's in our relationships, that's in our actions. We respond in worship. And then our third one, which is this point, is we are persistent in prayer. We're persistent in prayer. We're persistent in prayer. And that means like, like we just continue. Paul says to be faithful in prayer, to be persistent in prayer. And it's kind of cool to share, share a story. I was going through this 21 days of prayer and fasting and I was having dinner um, with a couple from the church. Um, last week, and, and uh, the guy, it was his first time, one of his first times doing 21 days of prayer and fasting, and it's just really opened his eyes to what God has been saying, wanting to do, and it's just, he's just like a sponge, just soaking everything up. And they were sharing this really cool instance where um, his fiance was at work and he was driving back from work from Franklin and there were some things that happened with a coworker um, with his fiance and she called him and said, hey, look, I really need you to pray about my, my coworker. He's just going through all of this. And so the gentleman just began to pray. He's like, I didn't, like, I just started praying and five minutes led to 10 minutes. It's like after, it's like, I thought I was done. And he said, so I didn't know what else to say. And I just turned the radio off and just got real quiet and was just listening and was just driving, and then all of a sudden, his radio came on with a podcast from us talking, and it was my voice talking about prayer, which was a series that we did two years ago, and he's like, I've never had anything like that happen before in my entire life. I didn't know what to do. I was freaking out, and he said, he had all these goosebumps, and here's what I know is that when we lean in in prayer, God answers. He responds and in ways, and so, so for this gentleman, it was just like, hey, I hear you. Now lean in a little bit more, right? And Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 11, and, and there's these two neighbors, and one neighbor has a friend that's traveling through town, and, and he stops and stays for the night, and the friend's hungry, and he wants a sandwich, and the guy doesn't have any bread in his house. And so he goes next door, and he knocks on his neighbor's door. He's like, hey, neighbor. You got any bread that I can borrow? I've had someone stop by and the neighbor's like, I'm asleep. What are you doing? It's the middle of the night. Go away. I'm not answering the door if somebody comes knocking on my door at midnight, one o'clock, right? Um, you don't know who it could be. I'll let my wife go because she can handle it. She can take care of it. She'll tell them where to go, right? Um, to leave. <laughs> She'll protect me. <laughs> it's like, please, please take care of me. Um, but he just keeps knocking. And he's like, no, can you, like, my, my friend's here. Can I, can I get some bread so I can make a sandwich? And this is, this is what Jesus says. Because the, the neighbor finally comes to the door and, 
and gives him what he's asking for. And Jesus says in verse eight, Luke 11, he says, I'll tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, talking about the neighbor coming to the door, he says, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And what Jesus is saying is we need to be like that persistent neighbor. We need to be shamelessly persistent. And shameless just thinks, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm gonna pray loud. I don't care what they think. I'm gonna worship loud. I don't care what they think. I'm gonna pray soft. I don't care what they think. I, like, like think about just waking up in the morning, not brushing your teeth, not, not combing your hair, putting your robe on and going to the grocery store. You're shamelessly pursuing groceries, all right? You don't care what people think about you. You go, I ain't got no shame. Like, I don't, like I'm going. What if we approach somebody like, I'm never doing that. Just, just wait till you get older, all right? You don't care, <laughs> all right? I used to care so much. I'm just like, I'll just put a hat on and go, pajamas and all. Um, but that's what God's saying. Pursue me that way, shamelessly, not caring what anybody says. And Jesus says multiple times, he says, if you keep knocking, the door will be open. If you keep asking, it will be given. You keep seeking, you will find it. And so we wanna be persistent, so we, like, we pursue passionately, right? We're persistent in pain. We're persistent in prayer. And this last one is not from this verse, but I think it's so important because we live in such an isolated world and we say this all the time because it's what I've, you know, on top of Jesus, we want our community in this church to be strong. Uh, and I believe that we grow stronger in community, um, that the church should be the most passionate group of people in the world and the church should be the strongest group of people in the world. And when you look at this story in, in Acts chapter 14, and I will share this forever because it's such a great visual of, of how we are to look after one another. In Acts chapter 14, Paul is, is in the city and he's preaching and he's, he's ticked off some religious guys. And so they take him and they stone him. Listen, it says they stone him and then they drag him outside the city and leave him for dead. So, so they... They stoned him so hard, so many times that they thought he was dead. He collapsed, was unresponsive. They didn't honor him by taking him to the, you know, the hospital or the clinic. They didn't honor him by taking him to friends. No, they drug him outside the city and left him for dead like an animal. And it says that a group of believers came and gathered around him. He got up and went back in the city. And that, that, that's the picture the church should be for each other, guys. And I don't know, like, if they laid hands on him. I don't know if they were praying in tongues. I don't know if they were, like, I don't know what they were doing. They might have been like Rocky's manager. Get up, Paul, come on. Like, they might have been pounding the mat. I don't know. But it says that, that, that Paul got up and he went back into the city. Guys, that's what the church should be doing for each other. Because life can drag us outside the city and leave us for dead, doesn't care. But you know who should care? The church should be caring for each other and making room for other people that experience that to come in and be cared for and grow stronger. And he says this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses five through seven. And Paul is writing to the church and he says, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. Isn't that what we face? 
like there's things going on around us, but not only are we dealing with things going on around us, there's always this insecurity and this fear on the inside that we're having to fight as well, adversity and pressure coming from both sides. And it says, but God who encourages those who are discouraged. Now, hear that truth. What does God do for those who are discouraged? What does the scripture say to us? God encourages those who are discouraged. And this is how God did that in this passage. He said, he encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. And so when you think about that, like Titus probably had no idea that God was sending him to be an encouragement to Paul. He thought he was just doing his job. He was just relaying information. Did you know that when you see someone that's going through something and you know about it sometimes just by human nature to protect ourselves from that hard situation, that hard conversation, we won't lean in and be an encouragement to that person because we're trying to self-preserve or we don't wanna put them in an awkward spot. If God's brought them to your mind, guess what he's calling you to do? To be the encouragement that he's wanting to send. To be the encouragement. When you're having a hard day and somebody says something that just like, just makes you like, oh God, you see me. God is encouraging you through that person. And not only that, it says that, and when he told me how much you long to see me, he's talking to the church, how sorry you are for what happened, how loyal you are to me. I was filled with joy. So when we share the encouragement we've received from other people with other people, that's just like double encouragement. We're called to be that for each other. God encourages those who are discouraged. And when we look at growing stronger in community, reading some more of this Angela Duckworth, she did like a hard deep dive into people who are um, Olympic caliber athletes and they dedicate their entire life, like their entire life to a sport that in all reality, most of them only get to compete in till they're about 20, 21, 22, and then you age out right? And they were asking, like, they wake up at three and four o'clock in the morning and they do all this strenuous exercise and training that just seems ludicrous to us, right? Just seems like insane that you would wake up at three or four o'clock in the morning and swim for hours. Then you would go eat breakfast and go back and do it all over again until the afternoon. It seems insane. And as she's interviewing all these Olympic athletes, none of them think it's crazy that it's normal for them. You know why? Because of the community that they're in has normalized that effort and that hard work. Church, we need to be in a community that normalizes holiness when the world doesn't. We need to be in a community that normalizes honor to those around us, whether we agree or disagree. When culture says, we're gonna cancel you, we don't like you. We need to be in a community that, that, that normalizes humility and courage and standing for what's truth. And that's why they're able to stay committed because it's not crazy. It's just part of the normal culture. And so we need to be in a community that normalizes the things of God so that we can stand strong in grit and endurance in steadfastness in perseverance. And you know, that's, that's why we do small groups because doing things can be hard. We need people to surround us when things get tough. And so when you came in, you had one of these cards in your seat. You had one of these cards. So I, here's, here's what I'm doing for you. I'm taking away every excuse, every excuse 
for you not to be in a small group. After today, you have no excuse. And if you say it's your schedule, then let's take a look at your schedule. Because if we're only giving the community and the things of God only our priorities on Sundays, but we can give our time throughout the week for sports, practices, trainings, all these other things, then we're not gonna stand strong for very long when the world attacks. So when you get this card on the back, it says small groups, we grow stronger in community. On the back is a QR code. Because I know Avenue Connect at 97,000 can be difficult. Um, I know like finding it on the website, you know, ouravenuechurch.com slash groups can be difficult. Um, so here's all you have to do. Take your smartphone. Most of us have smartphones. Scan this QR code. It's gonna pop up a link. You click on that link. It's gonna take you straight to our small groups page. We have 13 groups, guys. Every semester we're growing in groups. Every semester because we wanna have every opportunity for you to be involved. And honestly, like 13 groups is incredible, but that actually may be too many groups for a church our size. But that is a good problem to have, amen? Because we have lots of seats around the table. So I want you to sign up for a group. They're gonna start meeting in the next three group, three weeks or so. Um, we have groups for everyone. And then I want you to take another step. On the bottom is a blank space. You were probably thought, thinking that was just like um, graphic design. No, that's not. It says, I want you, I'd love for you to join me at. And then whatever small group you join, I want you to write it there. And I want you to pray about someone you can invite to come to that small group with you. It doesn't just have, like they don't have to just be a member of Avenue Church. That's not like, they don't have to attend Avenue Church. They can go to any church in the city that doesn't have small groups. We don't wanna take people, right? But if their church doesn't have small groups and they need community outside of that, bring them on. Maybe they have no church background. Oh, that's who we really want in, right? Because there are people that will attend a small group that's talking about a podcast over some burgers and wings or going hiking or doing a book read. People will come to a small group oftentimes before they'll come to a church. So here's what I know, like, like we need each other, guys. One of my coordinators sent me a video of a, of a pastor in Oklahoma, and he was talking about a very similar thing. Knowing that I was gonna be talking about this this week, I think the Holy Spirit was just reminding us. And when you look at the first century church, you look at the first century church, they desperately needed each other. They desperately need each other. They were facing way more persecution than what we're facing now. We're just getting offended. We're not being persecuted. But they were facing persecution and they needed each other and they knew it. Fast forward to 2023, the believers today, guess what? Nothing's changed. We still desperately need each other. We're just afraid to admit it and we don't wanna make the time for it. And I'm thankful that you're here on a Sunday. I want you to bring everybody. But I would rather, like, if you had to choose, honestly, honestly, and this is hard because pastors like crowds, right? But honestly, for your spiritual health, choose a small group over a Sunday service. I know that's like, ah, what? Because when you're in a small group, you get to share your stories with people. You get to hear their stories. And when life stones you and drags you outside of yourself and leaves you for dead, you've got a people that can come around you and they can help you get back up and go back and face whatever it is that God has for you. 
And so we have to stand like in grit. We have to have this, guys. We have to have this steadfast resolve where we just hold on to the things of God when all of culture is pushing against it. So we need passion. We need perseverance. We need persistence in prayer. We need community. But really, it all is built on the foundation of we need Jesus. Amen. Like that's who we put our hope in. And Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 7. He says, uh, verse 13 says you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way verse 14 says but the gateway to life he says look it's it's narrow it's hard like you got to walk in holiness that's not easy you have to follow me that's not easy I'm going to lead you into places that are hard to get to This is only a few ever find it. We need passion. We need perseverance and prayer. We need community, but most of all, we need Jesus. And so as you're walking into 2023, you're already already one month down. It's crazy. You're going to face some things. And I want you to have the virtues and the values and and the perseverance to stand through it. But know this, not by yourself, but with the Spirit of God in you, and the people of God around you. Can we do this? Can we just pray together just for a few moments? I wanna pray for those of us that may be here today and you don't have a relationship with God and you hear all of this and you're like, I don't even know where to start. Maybe life has just been pushing you around and you've got no grit whatsoever because your strength is gone. Paul says that in my weakness, the strength of God is perfected in us. And if that's you and you're here today and, you know, it's like, Stephen, I just, I need some grit. I need some endurance. I need some perseverance. Would you just lift your hand? I just want to pray for you. It's like, you just feel like all strength is gone. And you just need that. Awesome. Maybe you're here today and you don't have that relationship with Jesus. And and here's, here's where I want to start with you is just simply saying, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not everything that you're going to say, but it's the start. And we take whatever baggage and sin and shame that, that, that we're carrying and we place it at the feet of Jesus. He gives us life. Um, he gives us peace. He gives us rest. And if that's you, you simply start with just saying, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I want to follow you. I give you my life. I believe you died for me. You were buried for me. You rose again on the third day for me. It says that all those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart will be saved. So Father, I just come to you this morning and I thank you so much for just an incredible time um, with your people. God, I pray that your spirit has spoken directly to hearts in this room in worship and even through the word. And God, for those that Man, we go to Monday and we take all the energy and all the encouragement that we have on Sunday and we feel like it's just sucked right out of us on Monday, Tuesday. God, I pray just a renewal of energy and strength and passion and perseverance, God, so that we can stand on your promises and your truth regardless regardless of, of what opposition that we face. God, that we would be the most passionate people on the earth as your church, that we would be the most persistent, God, that we would be the strongest and the most caring in community in this, in this city, in this state. And God, for everyone that's here today that doesn't have a relationship with you in this moment as they say yes, 
God, I pray that you wrap your arms of love around them and just replace every insecurity with confidence of who they are in you. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name.